All right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Sunday service. Today is Singles Awareness Day. Woo! Yeah, and if you are a married man, it is trying to figure out what your wife really wants day. Woo! All right, I'm joking, but I'm not, right? Very stressful day, very, very stressful day. We are in a series called Foundations. We're in a series called Foundation, and I want to just, this is the last part of this series uh, for now. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll revisit this uh, series of Foundation Part 2 sometime in the, the, the summer. But at, as we end it, I, I want to give you the kind of the background of why, again, we, we created this series. Again, from year 2020, we had a lot of great things that happened within the church. But we also saw in 2020 that there were a lot of walls being built because of whatever social construct na narrative that was going on in the world around us. And what we saw among the, especially in the Christian community, we saw a lot of walls being built up, whether they were emotional walls, whether they were spiritual walls, intellectual walls. There were walls being built up that separated a person from another person. That was isolating each other emotionally, physically, spiritually from one another, right? And so the leaders got together and, and really prayed about this and believed that this year what we wanted to have happen was a year where we are, where we're calling it actually uh, beyond the wall, a year of restoration, right? Beyond the wall, a year of restoration. That is going to be the theme and the driving voice of this year for our community here at TLC, right? And what we're trying to say here is we want to bring restoration back to relationship. We want to bring restoration back to our connection to God and how we've lost that along the way. We want to bring restoration by breaking down these walls and bringing people in again, right? Or going out and reaching people, you know? Because the one thing we saw, one thing we realized is maybe these walls were built up and maybe these, these relationships were cut dry, not because we had a difference of opinion, but maybe because our foundations have been clouded. Maybe we, we've lost picture of the foundation that is in Jesus Christ. And that's why this series was created, because we wanted to kind of restore the biblical foundation of why we exist as a church, as a community, as a believer who follow after Jesus Christ. We want to go back to the foundational roots of what that means so that, so that, we can bring change and break down walls this year. And so past few weeks, past month or so, we've covered a lot of crazy topics. You know, the first topic we've covered was we need a God that's big enough to deal with life's deepest needs. Needs like justice. Needs like um, uh, morality, purpose, suffering. We need, we need a God that is big enough to help answer these questions in our life. And what I try to portray to you or share with you is that in Christianity, you have that. You have a resource for that. All other forms of belief, including atheism, has to borrow or become inconsistent as they hold on to their beliefs when it comes to areas like justice, morality, purpose, and suffering. But Christianity gives you the resource to be honest and to be consistent with that. Right? We covered topics like we can find this God. That in Christianity, you can find a God that he is not impersonal, but he is personal. That he is creating around you all over, all over these disruptive sites, these disruptive moments to bring you into connection. He will bring something along your life that kind of disrupts it for a moment so that you, in that moment, would have to turn aside and move towards discovering who he is. And he can be discovered, right? We talked about the reason why a lot of 
believers and people while we act the way we did, while we were so vitriol in our words, while we were so angry and hated in, in the way we expressed these words, was probably because we don't understand the biblical foundation of sin. See, the biblical foundation of sin tells us why we act the way we act, that we're self-centered in our, in our, in our, in our nature. We want to be like God. We don't trust that God is good for us. And so we go out there trying to have that control for ourselves. And in keeping that control and in creating that control, what do we do? We turn our focus towards ourselves and we go out and we do things that ends up being evil, self-centered, self-motivated, whether it's good or bad. Right? The biblical doctrine of sin tells us why in the heart of every human is a self-centered bent that seeks for its own personal fulfillment. Then last week we talked about how the Bible is the final word of God. That to navigate this word, you got to trust that the Bible is the final word of God. You can't go out there and just go about, go out based on your feelings and based on the hype that's going on around you or the culture around you. You, you navigate the world around you based on the truth that the Bible is the final revelation of Jesus a revelation of God in Jesus. That Jesus is the last word that God has to say to us. And everything, Jesus is the final revelation, final salvation. You can't top him. You can't add to him. You can't improve upon him. He is the final word. And if you would hold this word faithfully, if you would hold this word faithfully, you can begin to break down walls and restore relationships. And so the last part of this series today, I want to talk to you guys about the biblical doctrine of salvation. Okay, salvation. Okay, we're going to look into a passage in the book of Ephesians that pretty much uh, gives you the panoramic view of what salvation looks like and all the blessings of salvation. We're going to do a survey about that, of salvation in Jesus Christ in this text. Because in this text, what we're going to see is that in the Christianity, there's so many multidimensional areas of blessing. This text gives you a big panoramic view of it. And salvation encompasses in this, in, this, uh, in this text itself. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. We're going to learn four things. Okay, you ready? We're going to learn four things in this passage. One, we're going to learn how we get every spiritual blessing in Jesus. How we get every spiritual blessing. Two, what those spiritual blessings are. Again, we're giving a survey here. What those spiritual blessings are. Three, why we can have that spiritual blessing. And then four, how to know that you have them. Okay? So in this text, we're going to answer four things. How we get every spiritual blessing, what those spiritual blessings are, why we can have that spiritual blessing, and how to know that you have them. All right? Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Move on there. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. All right. Okay, listen now for the word of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Read along with me if you're at home. It goes like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. 
In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. How we get every spiritual blessing. I want to share with you the heart of the Christian message, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. How do we receive every spiritual blessing here? Look at verse 3. It says this. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings in Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How do we get every spiritual blessing? The answer is very simple. To have salvation is to be united with Jesus. If you have him, you have everything, is what uh, Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus. To have every spiritual blessing is to be united with Jesus. If you have him, you have everything. Now, how are we united in Jesus? How are we united in Jesus? What does that mean? We're united in Jesus in two ways. We're united in Jesus legally, and we're united in Jesus vitally, okay? We're united with Jesus legally. Best example of this is, for example, picture a marriage, okay? Picture this marriage. Uh, you can think of a Korean drama if you like, because it usually comes up a lot. You got two people, not married, but they're thinking about it. One is poor and has pretty messed up life. The other one has done everything right, made all the right moves, worked hard, and is rich. And if they get married, a rich person and a poor person together, they get married and they share the wealth. Even if the poor person has done nothing to contribute to the wealth, when a rich person and the poor person marry, the poor spouse in marriage receives with their marriage the riches of their spouse. You guys follow what I'm saying? Right? We... In the same way, when we are united in Jesus, the Bible says everything that Jesus has, when you believe in him and you're united with him by faith, everything he has comes to, uh, everything he has comes to him. Everything comes to you. Everything he has comes to you. Whether you have done nothing to to have everything that he has, but when you are united in him, you're united in him legally. It means that. Just like a marriage, everything that belongs to him belongs to you, right? For example, you're united with him in your death, in his death, in his resurrection. In his death, you know what that means? It means this. His death on the cross for the payment of sin, to be united with Christ on the cross, is to say you're free from the crime and the guilt of condemnation as if you died for the sin itself. See, when when Jesus Christ went on the cross and he took the penalty for your sin, when you are united with him, it means that legally, as if you died yourself for that same sin, for that same crime, for that same guilt. It means that you yourself are free because what? He has done it, right? If you've done something really wrong but you're united with Christ, you're free from condemnation as if You've died for it yourself. Can you understand this, guys? I need need you to make sure you understand this, right? When you are united in him, 
What God sees is not what you've done. Some of us, we can't deal with life because you're full of shame, you're full of guilt. Some of us think that we need to kind of constantly work our way to prove to God, I finally made it, God. I finally am, I placed myself in the position that I think I deserve your love now. But in the Bible, it says this, all of the spiritual blessing comes to you not because of what you've done, but simply because of what he's done for you. And if you are united in him by faith, legally it means this, everything that is true of him becomes true of you. If he died on the cross for you, if he paid the penalty for you, it literally means, it, it literally means that it, it's as if you paid the penalty yourself. You ever got a parking ticket or, or a speeding ticket or a stop sign ticket, right? Uh, whenever you get one of those tickets, okay, uh, it's, it's, you get this ticket, and here's the thing. I remember, I remember uh, back in the days when I was in college, I was a really poor college student, and I remember my youth pastor, uh, when he would come by and visit, right? And I, we'll have bills all over the tables because um, we're poor. So we have all these bills over the table just to remind us, like, you know, don't buy food, pay your bills, right? That's, that's stuff. And so he would come to the house, and he would, you know, walk around, we would joke and stuff like that, and he would find one of these bills. And he would, I, I remember one time clearly, he grabbed the bill, and he paid for it. I didn't know it. I was like looking for it. I was like, where is my bill? Right? And then I, I went online. I was like, oh my gosh, like, I need to go find the bill. And it says balance zero. And part of me, I was thinking, like, should I call them and say, like, I didn't pay for it? You know, like, trying to be honest, right? But I was like, oh, I should. I should do that. So I called. I was like, hey, uh, did you guys make a mistake? I, I, uh, I had this bill for a stop sign ticket, and I don't see the balance anymore. And it says, you, it pay, it's been paid for already. I said, yeah, who paid for it? We don't know. It just says the, the bill's been paid, right? Later on, I was talking about this, and I found out, I found out that my youth pastor paid the bill for me. And because he paid it for me, it's as if, according to the government, I paid it myself. I want to waste God's pain. That's what it means to be legally united in him. That whatever he has done is pretty much what you have done, right? It's as if you've done it yourself. But it also means this. We're united with him not only in his death, but we're united with him in his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection was his reward. Did you know that? His resurrection was his reward for his service, his vindication, his triumph. And what this means is that all things that Jesus Christ deserves, all his honors, when you are united with him, it's to you. Everything that is good about him, all the honor about him, God looks at you and says, what is true of my son is true of you. So it makes no sense sometimes. When we live ourselves in the guilt of our lives, right? When, you, when as brothers, sometimes, you know, one of the ma main um, guilt of sin or shame that we always have is our secret seduction to pornography or sexuality, right? And oftentimes we, we, we use that as this crutch to believe that I am no good, I am not great, I cannot be loved, God cannot possibly care for me. But in Jesus Christ, not only are you forgiven for that completely as if you've never done it, but on top of that, you've been given the honor that Christ has been given. You are a son of God. You are the glory of God. You are the righteous of God. Not because of what you've done, but because you are legally united to Jesus because of your faith in him. That's how it works. And same thing goes for sisters. Sometimes you look and you, in, 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 your, in, in, in your inward jealousy, in your desire for comparison, in, in your points to 
pick and choose what you think is good and not. And you feel to yourself, I have not really accomplished something. Or the evil that's in your heart when you think of somebody in your jealous comparison. To be united with Christ says what? I have forgiven you. I have forgiven you and you are not, you are not some broken, messed up girl who needs to find justification in comparing yourself with others. But you are my daughter. And what is true of my son is true of you. You are my righteous. You are the apple of my eye. You are the precious of my soul. You are mine. That's what it means to be legally united. Right? How, the question is how, how we get every spiritual blessing. It's being united in Jesus. But so that's legally, but vitally. You know what vitally is? Vitally works like this. The spirit of God Right? To be united in Christ, it means that you're united legally, but you're also united vitally. It means this. When you accept Christ in faith and united with him in faith, it's almost like the, the very genetic material of, your li- of God comes into your life. Right? And it begins to kind of grow and change you from the inside out. It begins to multiply with inside you. It begins to take form. It begins to, to, to do its outward working. It changes the very genetic makeup of who you are and the expression of it becomes this reality of you. So not only are you legally united to God, you are now being transformed from the inside out to become like his son, Jesus Christ. The life that God has put in you, your essence now, is being transformed just like if your DNA has been made new, right? I think a good example of this, if you guys like X-Men, you know, like X-Men or mutants, they have mutant genes and they kind of get transformed and you have to see outward. It's a bad example. I don't know. I, I, was, watching Mar- I was watching WandaVision this night, so this just came to my mind, okay? So as, as, as you're getting like this whole new genetic makeup, what happens is that the outworking of that genetic makeup, you receive these powers and these things. In the same way, if you are united with Christ vitally, His presence becomes to get in you, and he changes you. So let me tell you something. It means that there is nothing that you can do. There's nothing that can happen to you that cannot be be repaired. There is no sin in your life that has worked in your heart so desperately that cannot be free. It means that there is no wound that God cannot heal. It means that there is no binding habit that you cannot be free from. It means that there is no brokenness that cannot be repaired. Let me tell you something. When you are united in Christ, legally and vitally, it means that your day-to-day life, no matter how forward and backwards you think you're living, if you understand this truth, it tells you that you are not going to be stuck where you are. You're not going to be stuck where you are. God will meet you where you are, but he will never leave you where you are. It doesn't matter how messed up, how broken you think your brain is or your heart is. God says there is nothing that is broken that I cannot be repaired. I am, you are united to my son, therefore my presence is in you, therefore I will transform you from the inside out. There is no sin, no habit. That you can't break. I know a lot of brothers and a lot of sisters, you guys have habits that you wish that you can break. And I know for a fact that you struggle with those habits, whether it is to use, to, to use them to soothe your life, whether it's sex, drug, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. I know that you use those things as a habit and you want to break them. You want to get out of them. You want to be free from them. And sometimes you feel like you can't. But let me tell you, let me tell you, in Jesus 
there is no such thing as you being stuck. God will free you. There is no habit that you cannot be liberated from. Right? You understand this? This is not an, an idea of working here. This is not an idea of works. This is you have it all or you don't have it at all. It's either you're united with him or you're not united with him. Do you know what's a great question to ask someone to really determine what's going on in their soul? Very simple. And I, I use this question sometimes when I'm talking to people. I ask them, are you a Christian? Seems like a very odd question to ask, but are you a Christian? You know what the majority of the time I get as an answer? I'm trying, or I hope so, right? It sounds like a very humble way of saying, yeah, yeah, I'm trying, or I'm hope so. But you know what it really reveals, though, when someone says that? It reveals to me that I don't really think you understand what it means to be a Christian. I'm trying, or, I'm hope, or I hope so. It's because you either have every spiritual blessing in Christ, whether it's sleeping and it's nascent and it's ready to bloom and grow and to encompass you, or you have nothing. See, when you say, I'm trying or I hope so, it seems that you think your spiritual blessing comes to you only, listen, only if your life, only, if, only over your life as you try harder and you try to accrue God's blessing on your life. You think, when you say, I'm trying or I hope so, you have a very skewed understanding of God's blessings of God's salvation. You think that you need to try, you need to accrue, you need to work harder so that that blessing will come to you, so that you would be united with him, so that you would legally or vitally be transformed by him. It's either you have it or you don't. You're saved by grace. You're saved by Christ alone. It's not what you do. You don't think, you don't work hard to get this, right? In Jesus, you have all of it. All of it. Let me tell you, you have all of it. You are completely free in Jesus Christ. He has completely freed you. And I know if you're sitting there, you're thinking, that doesn't sound fair, PT. I work pretty hard. Let me tell you, the moment you start telling me that, I'll, you got to ask yourself, do you really understand what it means to be a Christian? Because you have the spiritual blessing not because of how hard you work, but because of what he's done. See, if, if you sit there and you're complaining, like, I don't get it. Like, I, I followed after Jesus. I've been to church. I've done all these things. And you're telling me that this person who's this slack-off, lazy bum, who accepts Jesus Christ into their life, who makes him their Lord and Savior, who united with them, that all of a sudden that in itself receives every blessing that I've worked so hard for? Yeah. And the fact that you even say that, Reveals that maybe in your heart you don't really understand that you are united with Christ. Are you really going to say that on the deathbed of your family member? Your brother, your sister, your mom or your dad? Or unbelievers? And on the deathbed they, they, they cry out to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Would you really tell them, hold on, before you die, you got to get back up. You got to serve at least three more years, right, before you can die and meet Jesus. Because this is just too easy. This is just too easy. If you think that, let me tell you something, you don't understand. You don't understand what it means that every blessing comes in Jesus. It's only in Jesus, not in the works. So are you united in him, church? Are you united in him? Are you a Christian? 
If you say, I hope so, or I'm trying, I don't think you understand what that means. See, Christian salvation is not about what you do, but what he's done. You know why Paul, why Paul can be so confident even though he has a past? You know, Paul, Paul was a murderer, right? You know, in his past, he's a murderer. He killed Christians. Do you, do you realize that there's probably times when he has sat in a congregation of Christians, members and relatives of the very people he killed? Friends, relatives at most of the very people he's killed? And yet he has the confidence in the midst of all those things. Why? How does he live himself? Because of this. How is he able to stand up in the midst of all that guilt and shame as he's looking in the eyes of a relative of a member that he knew he put to death before he found Jesus? How do you think he can look someone in the eye that way? Because he's not trying to claim for what he's done. He's able to do that simply because of what? He knows. It's not because of what he's done, but what Christ has done. He is nothing. In Jesus, he is everything. In himself, he is ugly. In Christ, he is beautiful. How do we get every spiritual blessing? There's only one way. There's only one way. It's in him. It's in Christ Jesus. It's the only way we get every spiritual blessing. Are you in him? Do you recognize that you are legally and violently uh, connected to him? That you are united with him? Do you find your life actually clinging on to him? Or do you find your life trying to work harder to receive blessings? Right? To prove something. How do we get spiritual blessing? In him. What are those spiritual blessings? So check this out. What are those spiritual blessings? This, again, this is just a survey, okay? There's a lot more, but in this passage, it gives you an overview, a panoramic look of what those blessings are. Those blessings of what it, come, what it means to be in Jesus, united in Jesus. Look at verse 5. It says this. For he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. One of those spiritual blessings, three of them. One of those spiritual blessings is adoption. Adoption. Okay? See, a lot of us in ancient times, when we think about adoption, we, we, it's probably not the same way that the ancient writers think about adoption. In ancient times, what Paul, when Paul was writing, people don't usually adopt little children the way we adopt little children. In back days, People adopted children because they wanted to, uh, not because they wanted to raise the child and have their own child and kind of love upon them. They adopted the child or a person because they needed and wanted an heir, someone to continue their legacy, someone so they can build a lineage with. They adopted the person. So sometimes they do adopt a child, but guess what? Sometimes they adopt a grown adult. Sometimes they adopt a grown adult so that that adult now will be the heir. See, if you have a rich man who has no, a rich adult who has no heirs, what he would do is he would adopt an older relative of his or an older person. And he says, now you are my heir. Everything that is mine now belongs to you. Paul is saying, right, Paul is saying, in Christ, man and woman, slave and free, Jews and Gentiles, all are equal heirs of every spiritual blessing. See, the person who adopts you is not your boss, but now is your father, which means you have access to intimacy, security, and personal identity. 
See, you have an identity now. You're not some random kid or random. You have been given an identity because of your adoption here. What are the spiritual blessings that comes from being united in him? You are an heir to his throne. You sit with Christ as an heir to the throne of God. You are his child. Right? Um, again, best example I've used so many times is like um, uh, the adoption of, you know, when uh, Brad Pitt and uh, Angela Jolie adopted uh, Paxton. Right? Is it Paxton? Maddox. Maddox. Maddox from um, Cambodia. Right? And I was like, oh, is it Vietnam? Was it Vietnam? I can't remember where it was. It was one of those Asian countries, right? So Maddox, like, adopted. And I'm like, I remember when I was, when I was, when he first got adopted, I was like, man, that means that Maddox is an heir to the riches, to the honors, to the accolades, to the reputation of Angelina and Brad Pitt, right? Jolie. So this kid from obscurity, nobody knew who he was. He was probably eating rice off of the ground because he had no food to eat. God came in, took this kid out of, I mean, uh, they came and took this kid out and put him in Beverly Hills. And now everything that's true of them becomes true of this kid. That's adoption. He's now the heir. And in the same way, what are the spiritual blessings that you receive to be united in Jesus? You are adopted by God. You're nobody. We're nobodies. And yet whether we're slaves or free, Jews or Gentiles, man or woman, we equally receive the spiritual blessings of adoption. You and I, are son and, you and I in Jesus Christ are the sons and daughters of the living God. But what's the second blessing that we see here in the passage? Okay. We see verse 10. Look at verse 10. Oh, I mean, verse 7. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The second spiritual blessing we receive is a spiritual word called redemption. So we receive adoption as a spiritual blessing, which is amazing because you, your identity now is not in what you want to create of it. Your identity is what Christ has given to you. You have been given a new identity, but now you've also been redeemed. The root word of the word redemption, it means you're being bought out of captivity. Okay? The picture is that we were all slaves. We were all slaves to something. And what God has done is that he has bought us out of that slavery. He has defeated the master that has enslaved us and brought us into freedom. We're all slaves to something. We're all living for something, whether it's your children, your career, your relationship, your money, whatever it is, your, popu uh, your popularity. You are all slaves to some sort of master. And whatever you are living for is your master. If you're living for your reputation, your reputation is your master. You will do everything you can to protect that master. You will do everything. You will bend over backwards. You will make a fool of yourself. You will cheat. You will lie to protect your reputation. If your reputation is your, if your, if your master is your children, is what you're living for your children, you will do everything for your children. You will baby them, coddle them, you will, do, you, will, you will invest in them, you will pour your money into them, you will do everything you can to make sure that your children are at its best. Because if they're at their best, you feel like you have worth and value. You feel like you are now living in a way that's honoring that master. See, everything that you live for, money, sex, power, reputation, Everything that you live for, all these masters, you know what they do? 
They will force you to bow. They will force you to die to keep them. They will, they, will, they will make you run after them over and over and over and over again just to keep them. It's only in Jesus Christ who has done what? Who has died to keep you. When the Bible says you have been given the spiritual blessing of redemption, that's what it means. It means now that you can look at money not as the ends of your life, but as a means to an end. It means now that you can look at your children not as the purpose and the passion for your life, but that they are a part of the journey of your life. That you can now look at your, your career not as the end goal of your life, but that your career is the purpose for which you will carry out God's goal for your life. See, it frees you only in Jesus Christ that we see a master who is willing to die for you. Only in Jesus Christ do you have a master who is willing to give his life for you. All other masters, all other ones will force you to die for it. You know, anything in your life can be a master. Even me up here preaching. You guys realize that? Me up here preaching. In, I'm preaching, by the way. In, up here preaching. If my preaching is done so I can feel like I'm a worthwhile person. If my preaching is done so I can feel like I'm successful. If my preaching is done so that I can... Look around and say, oh, check this out. Look at how many people I've helped. In that case, my preaching has become my master, and I'm serving my preaching, and my preaching is not serving you. Anything can become a master. It's not just about negative things. Anything in your life can become a master. Your identity is in something... Oh, wait, um, if God is not the absolute center of your life, you are being held captive by something else. Your relationship can be a master. If God is not at the center of that relationship, think about it. You're being held captive by that relationship. Oftentimes when I counsel brothers and sisters or I counsel brothers who've been broken up, oftentimes what I hear and I hear as a rhythm is that God wasn't really in the center. He was a tool for that relationship. Oftentimes what I hear is that God was used as a way to continue that relationship because what was most important was maintaining that relationship and doing what makes sure that I can keep that relationship rather than doing what is right for that relationship. And sometimes doing what is right for the relationship means that you're going to have to disappoint the person in that relationship with you. You realize that? Oftentimes when you are being held captive, by your family, your children, your husband, your wife. You know, what, what I usually hear a lot of times is that it's, it's, it's because most of the time the struggles, the pain, and, and, you know, parents will come to me and say, why are my kids, like, so disruptive? Why are they not obedient? Why are they leaving? Why are they all? I say, well, when was the last time you placed God in, your relation, in that family structure of you, that he is the center of it? Because when God's at the center of it, what you've made is that you've made your children, you made your husband, you made your wife the center. So you do whatever you can to make them happy. And now that they are gone, now that they have disappointed you, not that they have, you've lost, you've lost your personal identity. Right? If you lose those things, you lose your life. If you make those things center of your life, you lose them. See, the Bible tells us one of the spiritual blessings, just as, one of the spiritual blessings in your life that comes with being united with Christ is redemption. You are adopted, 
and you are redeemed. Isn't it nice to believe that you can actually live a life not enslaved to the things around you, but to be free from them, to approach them in a way that is with peace, to understand that God is in the center and he's in control, to put it at the feet of the cross and knowing that he will work his goodwill upon that rather than you dying, killing yourself so that you can just achieve something that at any moment can leave you, at any moment can be taken away, at any moment can be stripped from your hands. The third thing, real quickly, third thing, what are the spiritual blessings? We've got adoption, we've got redemption. In verse 10, we have consummation. Check this out. To be put into effect, verse 10, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth to gather, to, together under one head, even Christ. The promise is eventually God is going to put an end to all suffering. He's going to make the world new and put an end to death itself. When it says that, uh, when it says to bring unity, it means that everything in this world is being torn apart, right? Everything in the world that we know is being torn apart on every level. This is true. On a thermodynamic level, things are being torn apart, right? Things are falling apart. On the death level, what we see, your body is being broken apart. It's being torn apart. On the war, racism, poverty level, things that should be together are being split apart. And what we have as a spiritual blessing here is that God is going to end all of that because he has conquered death itself. In Jesus, he's going to bring all things together. That's the promise and the spiritual blessing. So if you are struggling in your life and you are wondering why are things constantly going through the way they are, there is hope because in Jesus Christ, we have this hope that he will bring and make all things new. Right? He will come and make all things new. There's a scene from the movie... Um, Passion of the Christ, which is one of my favorite scenes, right? It's, it's when he's carrying the cross and, his, you know, and you see the mom, Mary, running after him and just really crying, seeing how, like, beat up he is, seeing how torn apart he is, seeing how broken he is. And he sees his cross falling on him and he's just on the ground, everything. His mom comes to him. She's, like, crying. She's crying. She's like, oh, my gosh, my son, my son. And then you see this one moment. It's a very epic moment. He picks up the cross and he says, see, mom. I'm making all things new. I mean, that, that, that scene hits me every time, right? Because it reminds me, no matter how bad things get in your life right now, no matter how stressed and how overwhelmed you are with your work, with your school, with your family, with things in your life, no matter how bad it is, the promise of the blessing is what? He will make all things new. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. That there will be a day when you will stand before God and all these crazy things that you've experienced in life will just be a shadow of a moment. When you gaze and behold the glory of God and you realize all of this, all of the stuff that I went through, all of the death, all of the pain, all of the hurt, all the tears I've cried, it was not meaningless. It was not useless. It was building in you something glorious. There is a promise of hope, consummation. There is a promise that all things will be made new. Those are just the three that shows up in Ephesians. There's a lot more, right? How do we get every spiritual blessing? It's in him, right? What are those spiritual blessings? Adoption, redemption, consummation, 
And lastly, the third point, really short, why we can have that spiritual blessing. Why? Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We can have this blessing, right, through his blood. See, when Jesus Christ addressed God throughout the New Testament, he always addressed God as what? He always addressed God as Father. There's only one place where he did not address God as Father. It was on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Why have you forsaken me? He lost his sonship so that you and I can be brought in. He was bound in nails so that you and I can be liberated. Jesus Christ was put to death so that we may have everlasting life. How can, why uh, we can have that spiritual blessing? It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's because he was willing to take the place for you. You could not do it yourself. You owe a debt that you could not pay, and he paid a debt that he did not owe to bring you in. That's why. That is the only reason why you can experience this blessing. It's the only way that you can actually have this blessing, this salvation. It is through his blood. How do we get the spiritual blessing? In him, in Jesus alone. There is no way, no other way possible. He is the, life, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. What are those blessings? You got adoption, you got redemption, and you got consummation. Why are we able to have that blessing? Because of his blood. And lastly, how do you know that you have them? How did you know that you have this salvation? How do you know that you have this blessing? How do you know that you are, that, that this that this blessing, even if it's in its nascent form, which means that it has not fully bloomed in your life yet or has not come to actualization in your life yet, how do you know that it's there? How do you know that it's going to happen? How do you know that you will receive these blessings from God? Look at verse 6. It tells you this. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. It's very simple. How do you know that you have these blessings? is that grace becomes glorious to you. When, I think, when you think about God's grace, do you find it glorious? Do you find it beautiful, right? Do you, do you find it as something that you kind of realize, like, I can't believe I have it, right? I remember there's a, there's a, there's a teacher in my, in my old school, my seminary school. It's the most hilarious guy. He's a small, scrawny dude. He's a Hebrew uh, teacher. And the, there was a one year that we had an earthquake, and then I think a bookcase fell on him, right? So everyone was freaking out because, you know, scrawny guy, bookcase fell on him. We thought he was going to die. Like, like, people were running in. It's like, Dr. Risby, Dr. Risby, are you okay? You know what his answer was? It's not like, I'm okay. It's not like he stood up like, yeah, I'm fine. His answer was, put a thumbs up, better than I deserve. And I was like, what? <laughs> better than you deserve? Bro, you just had a bookcase fall on you. Like, that's, that's kind of sad, man. Right? But he, the story was he put his thumbs up and he said, better than I deserve. You know why? Because he realized how glorious grace is in his life. See, if I ask you, are you a Christian? You can answer, I hope so, which tells me what? You don't understand the blessing that's yours. But if you answer this, of course I'm a Christian. That also reveals something about you. You know what it reveals? That you justify your Christianity based on what you've done, who you are. Which, how much you've served, how much you've given. See, a Christian who understands the grace, the glorious grace of Jesus Christ never takes themselves seriously. 
You know, are you a Christian? You would say, what a joke, huh? Me, Christian. How is that even possible? Right? What did I even do to deserve this? Nothing. See, a Christian does not take himself seriously. They laugh about their faith. They laugh about their position because they cannot even possibly believe that it's theirs. How do you know you have the spiritual blessings and the salvation of God? Do you feel, do you see God's grace as glorious in your life? Or when we talk about grace, you're like, yeah, that's something I have. It's cool. One more thing I have. Right? The answer to that question really determines whether you understand whether you are truly united in him, whether you have the adoption, redemption, and consummation that comes from him, whether you really are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because if grace is not glorious to you, grace is not, because if grace, if something is beautiful to you, what do you do? You talk about it all the time. If something is beautiful to you, it shines forth in who you are. If something is amazing from you, it's easy to see it, right? You know, oftentimes, sister, when, when I tell you guys to, like, you know, just bring your future boyfriends to let me see, you know what I'm really looking for, right? I'm not really looking for anything like, 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 do they make money? I'm really looking to see if grace comes out. I'm really, I'm really just looking to see if there's glory, if there's a, if there's a humbleness and there's a not-so-seriousness about the grace that's in their life. That they see grace as beautiful. They, don't, they realize they don't even deserve it. What I'm not looking for is someone who's trying to make it up, right? I've seen that a lot of times too, right? Boys come up to me and they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, let me tell you all these things about the Bible. I'm like, oh, it's nice, it's cute, right? So you can read, good, right? But is grace prominent in your life? Is grace shining forth from your life? Is it beautiful to you? Because sometimes when I look at you, when, when, I, when I talk to someone long enough, I can tell specifically what is actually beautiful to them. I think you can too, if you're discerning enough. You can talk to somebody long enough and you can recognize, I don't think they think grace is glorious. I think they think this is glorious. How do you have, how do you, how do you know that you have the blessings? Is grace glorious to you? Is it, is it beautiful to you? Is it so much so that you live your life just proclaiming it, expressing it, living it out, right? That you don't take your life so seriously in terms of your reputation, your worth, your value. You don't take what you say so seriously, but you take what Jesus, who Jesus is with utmost seriousness. Let's pray.